Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be turning to Luke chapter 7 at verse 36, not what is written in the bulletin or written, printed on your scripture sheet. Want some more time on that passage, and, and so we're going to spend some time in Luke chapter 7 this morning. <clears throat> Luke 7 at verse 36, we'll go through verse 50. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. The moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, allow my words to penetrate into hearts. And Father, that we would do what is appropriate when the Word of God is preached, which is to examine ourselves. So Father, be with us, guide us. May we honor you in every one of our thoughts and words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated.
Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? If you do, I know the reason. I know the reason you love Jesus, and that's because the reason you love Jesus is because you've been forgiven of all your sins against him. If you love Jesus, it means that you know and understand and rejoice and give praise to God that the terrible sins that you have committed, and all of you have committed terrible sins, you know that they have been forgiven, cast, as it were, into the deepest part of the sea, removed from you as far as east is from west. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Those who have been forgiven much love Jesus most, love Jesus truly. Love him with a genuine affection, love him with feeling. Right? Love him at times with with tears of great joy as you contemplate the, the sins he's removed from you. Jesus is, to those who know forgiveness, a friend. He's a friend who uh, loves and is loved as David loved Jonathan and Jonathan loved David, only it's much better than that. It's much better than that. Do you love Jesus? If, on the other hand, your love for Jesus is superficial, if it's thin, if it's often forgotten, right? It's, you're, not, you're, not, uh, you're not tracking all the time with Jesus. You like Jesus. If it's like that, well, you haven't known the forgiveness of your sins. Simply put, you have not known the forgiveness of your sins. You've gotten confused about why Jesus came into this world in the first place. Perhaps you think he came to be a teacher. Just a teacher with, with, uh, to add another book onto the, 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 the libraries of the world. Add his perspective. Perhaps you think he's just, oh, you know, a, a, a wise man. But that is not why Jesus came. That is not why Jesus came. Jesus said many wise things. They are written in a book. That book has been given to us by God as a great mercy. But that is not why he came into this world. He came to love and to save sinners. He came to love you, you sinners. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus?
I'm going to see how long I can wait after every time I say that just to make it awkward. But I want you to contemplate it. I get up here and I just start blah, 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 talking. I don't, give, I don't pause enough to give you time to think about what's just been said from the pulpit of your church. Do you love Jesus? Perhaps if there is no love to Jesus, you think lightly on the sins that you've committed. <clears throat> Comparing yourself to other sinners, right, who have sinned in, in more terrible and notorious ways than you. And uh, really what you should be doing, though, is, is comparing yourself to the holy, holy, holy God Almighty who has never once even contemplated sinning, has never once ever been tempted to sin, is holy, holy, holy. Perhaps you haven't thought about the cross. What comes together at the cross, the wrath and love of God come together at the cross. In their full intensity, in their full density, the wrath of God and the love of God are there. You haven't realized that Jesus became sin so that we could be forgiven. And not realizing that, that Jesus became every awful, hideous sin that the elect have ever committed, not realizing this, you love Jesus little. I mean, my contribution to that equation is huge. Your, your contribution to that, to the sinfulness of Jesus Christ is huge. And yet there are days when you even forget to think about him. There are some days that go by where you don't think about Jesus. He's an afterthought and he has none of your heart, none of your emotions, none of your affections. He, he, he has, he's not what you turn to first when, when you have trouble. Right there, there you, you, turn, you turn to Siri before you turn to Jesus when you have trouble. And so again I ask, do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Perhaps Christianity has become merely a worldview for you. It's a worldview. Oh. Perhaps, right, it's perhaps Christianity, let's just move a little bit away from Jesus, the person. Perhaps Christianity to you has become a political philosophy. A grid through which you make sense of the world, right? That worldview. Christianity is what intrigues you, right? That worldview. And, and, and so Jesus to you is an orderer of societies 
and a king who governs. I will always, I hope, consider myself to be evangelical. Because evangelicals take questions like, do you love Jesus seriously? They take questions, simple self-examination questions like that seriously. I hope I will always be an evangelical. And by saying that, I hope there will always remain in my walk with God a certain pietistic strain. Capital P, what, pietistic, whatever you want to call it. I hope there is always a thoroughly pietistic strain in my devotion to Jesus. Because, dear brothers and sisters, I hear a lot of bashing of pietism by my reform friends. Especially ever since John Piper wrote a very confusing and bad piece on the upcoming election. Anybody read that piece by John Piper? very confusing. It's very bad. It's not written well. It's not a good piece. He wrote about, he was making moral equivalence, right, between the character of Donald Trump and the, the sins that the Democratic Party defends. And he was making a moral equivalence and basically saying you can't vote for either one of these parties. Okay. And then the theonomic, post-millennial, you know, rabble-rousers come into the, and just knock down John Piper. For what? For his pietism. But pietism is, at least in some sense, merely the pursuit of a personal relationship with God. That's what it is, a personal relationship with God. It is to personally know God and have a desire to honor Him in your individual life. Yes, at times pietists can use Jesus as an escape from the, the larger civic responsibility and love of neighbor, but those who bash pietism can also tip into a sterile, intellectual, philosophical approach to God as a system of thought. And that's what our theonomous friends are getting close to. What I want to know as your pastor is this. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you, do you adore Jesus Christ? Do you love him? Do you talk to him? Do you sing his praises? Do you enjoy him? Do you love him? Knowing Jesus and his forgiveness, that produces Love, that doesn't produce end times paradigms. It produces love. That's what, that's what 
Knowing Jesus and his forgiveness produces, it produces a melting heart in you, a love toward God Almighty. Not knowing Jesus and his forgiveness produces no love. It may produce civility, but no love is there. And civility without love, civility without love, what is it? It's nothing. It's just orderliness. It's a room that's kept in order, but it has no warmth. Civility. In the history we are looking at this morning in our, in our Bibles, we have a contrast between one who has been forgiven much and one who was forgiven nothing. The one, a sinner, the text says, was forgiven. The other, a Pharisee. One who is self-righteous and not in need, even from his own perspective, not in need of forgiveness. He was not forgiven. And based upon that, one loved much and one loved little. Now the Pharisee was much more civilized than many of his fellow Pharisees, many of whom wanted to kill Jesus, right? This Pharisee at least had the desire to have Jesus over to his home for dinner. Right? That took him a notch above the other Pharisees. He's civilized. He's inquisitive. Right? He is intellectually curious. He is interested. He's hospitable even, but as we will see later, a run-of-the-mill self-righteous man. Jesus and the household of the Pharisee, uh, the, the head of the household, are reclining at the table, which was the custom of that culture, right, to recline. And a woman hears that Jesus is there. This woman out, out on the street hears that Jesus is at the Pharisee's house. She knows where it is. She's uh, been by it a thousand times. And knowing Jesus is near, she makes a plan. All we know about this woman is what this passage tells us, and it's this. She was a sinner. A sinner. A notorious sinner. The kind of woman that anyone could look at and say, she's a sinner. The eternal word of God, I mean, think of that. That's, that this is a real woman, and her biography is written in the eternal word of God, and it just says, a sinner. The eternal word of God gives us one piece of introductory information about her, a sinner. And it occurs to me that that should be the biography of every Christian, right? A sinner. Period. It was Paul's bio with a little bit of elaboration. Chief of sinners. Chief of sinners. Captain. I go to websites and conferences and see church propaganda that contains bios of professing Christians, which you all know were written by the person themselves, and at least vetted by the person themselves, and they are filled with self-glorifying adjectives. Gifted communicator, passionate advocate for this or that, you know, holder of this degree from this prestigious institution, but godless institution. Published by this and that publisher, speaking at this and that conference, winner of this, the prestigious blah, blah, blah. Here the Holy Spirit writes the bio of this woman, a sinner. 
And it's the only honest biography that's ever been written. It gets right to the point. It gets right to the core. It completely encompasses her whole life. And I would say until you are content with that being your bio, I think you are actually missing the whole point of Jesus Christ coming into this world. You're missing the whole thing. If you aren't happy with a one-word bio, sinners, you have missed Jesus' work in words. Now, this woman was a sinner. She knew it. Jesus knew it, and knowing it led her to seek out a Savior. She needed help. She likely was a breaker of the seventh commandment, a prostitute who had serviced man after man, an unclean prostitute, right? The dregs of that society, an outcast. She hears that Jesus, her Savior, is near and she makes a plan. The love she has for him motivates her to do this wonderful thing for him. She grabs some expensive perfume that would have helped her in her trade, right? And she goes to and enters the house of the Pharisee and pours the perfume on the feet of Jesus. And notice what it says about her as she pours this perfume Upon Jesus' feet, she is weeping. She's no, she's no, I've sinned and Jesus just forgives me sort of slacker. She's weeping tears of repentance as she does this good deed to her Savior. She's weeping, tears are flowing down her face and even those tears become an anointing of Jesus' feet, right? Not having a towel or cloth with her, with which to wipe his feet, she uses her own hair. And she is kissing his feet. Now that's an incredible outpouring of emotion. Isn't it? Those are incredible actions filled with emotion. It's filled with love, only made more incredible given her context. She is... Blessing Jesus in the home of a Pharisee with that Pharisee watching. Her love is not inhibited by that watchful gaze where you would normally think she'd be inhibited. She wouldn't want to, I mean, this is a leader of the, this is a respectable leader of the religion of the time. But her love is not inhibited by that watchful and critical gaze of this man. She will not be stopped in her love for Jesus, her Savior. She loved him and would stop at nothing to express that love for him while she had this chance. Do you love Jesus? When does your love for Jesus get suppressed because of the people who are around you? At the office? Is it at home with an unbelieving spouse? Is it at a college class? When you may find yourself among academics and intellectuals? Is it late at night when you're by yourself? Is it when you're among unbelievers? Right? Well, let this woman be an example to us, even as this harsh man looked on, you know, how she got through the entrance into his house. Who knows? 
She went to an amazing length to profess publicly her, her emotion of love to Jesus. Her heart was laid open before everybody that was there, and she couldn't care less. She was loving her Savior, Jesus. She would love him. And as we would expect, and as you and I would be tempted to respond, the Pharisee, the Pharisee, the Pharisee, he's disgusted. He's disgusted by this obscene, filthy sinner, this obscene, filthy sinner doing obscene, filthy gestures. And he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Now notice that. He says she's a sinner. Whereas the inspired word of God says she was a sinner before and the meanings are completely different, right? I mean, they're the same, but they're also different given the context. Here's the Pharisee proclaiming her a sinner when she knows better than anyone else that she is exactly what she is. She has sinned in ways the Pharisee could never have imagined. He only knows half of it. And notice that the Pharisee reasoned to himself, not being willing to express what he was feeling. He kept it inside. He kept it inside, not speaking out loud, and condemns Jesus in the same judgment. He reasons that if Jesus were a prophet, he'd make the filthy sinner stop these filthy gestures. He reasons that Jesus is somewhat Perversely liking the attention of the woman, probably. All of this is a quiet thought in his head, and Jesus, who is a prophet, and some, knows what Simon is thinking. Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Oh, man. I would love to have been there at that point. Simon, I have something to say to you. (laughs) Almighty God. Almighty God says that to you. You know that something's coming. Simon, I have something to say to you. Has anybody ever approached you with those words? (laughs) I've had those, those words. Uh, spoken to me. If you hear that, you know that what is about to come is not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be an invitation to go uh, to the coffee shop for a relaxing conversation, for a latte. Um, What is coming is a rebuke. And the self-righteous Pharisee will be taught about the mistake of his reasoning. He will be taught about love. It's going to be taught about love uh, through a short parable. Moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? That's the parable. It's a very simple parable. Two debtors owe their creditor money, one more than the other. Both of them are forgiven by the creditor. Who will love the moneylender more? And the answer is obvious, and Simon's answer answers the question. I suppose, I mean, he didn't need to add that. Oh, I suppose 
the one whom he forgave more? That's the answer. And now Jesus says he is judging correctly. And then Jesus, notice the body language here. Notice Jesus turns toward the woman, right? He had been addressing Simon. He turns toward the woman. And he's probably got his back to Simon. He's going to be addressing Simon while looking at the woman and his back is toward the Pharisee. That's a statement. He's got his back toward the host of the home, in his own home, right? It's a, it's a gesture of rebuke. Certainly when you notice you know, what it says, he turns toward the woman and then dresses Simon with the words. He's not even looking at this Pharisee in his own home when he says what follows. And he says this, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my hair with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. I mean, just stop and think of the tender love of this woman. for Jesus, in comparison to the dry lovelessness of this Pharisee, who knew all the traditions, who knew what should be done, who knew how to care for a guest. He wanted Jesus in his home, but perhaps it was for the purpose of judging him, the purpose of lording it over Jesus. But this woman... This sinner, this sweet woman whose sins were many, loved Jesus with her actions. She cleansed and kissed and anointed the feet of her Lord. And Jesus blesses her with a reminder of her forgiveness. To hear from the one who has the ability to forgive sins that your sins are forgiven, what higher encouragement is there in this life than that? Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. How have they been forgiven? Jesus explains. He says in verse 50, your faith has saved you. She has faith. The Pharisee has no faith. She has faith. So dear brothers and sisters, our pride keeps us living like the Pharisee. We hide our faith in Christ. We we Presbyterians are skeptical of great shows of emotion, right? We, we walk about with brains filled with theology and talk and talk and talk about theology. And we talk about, the, you know, we talk about impossibilities like the reform of the U.S. government. But our hearts are often far from Jesus, the person Jesus. The God, second person of the Trinity, our Savior. Why is this? I think perhaps it is because we haven't stopped to consider the depth of our own depravity, right? We haven't stopped to consider just how weak, impotent, and sinful that we are. We haven't contemplated the terribleness of our own sin, which required the birth, the life, and the death 
and the bearing of the wrath of God upon the shoulders of the Son of God. And that for every foolish thing you've ever done. That for every blasphemous thought that you've ever thought. And so in not being aware of our own sinfulness, we think our forgiveness is simple and easy of a transaction. In fact, we're like the Pharisees and we think, God will forgive me. He owes it to me. We think lightly of the forgiveness of God. We think so lightly of it. But not this woman. Forgiven much, she loved much. Have you been forgiven much? Have you been forgiven much? Have you sinned against the Lord? Have you sinned against your parents? Have you sinned against others? Have you stolen? Have you, have you, have you sinned against Him in all those ways even after He's made you new and, and you know Him? Perhaps not as we once did, but sin is sin in this sense, they all require the blood of Jesus Christ to be shed for their forgiveness. They all require it. Every one of them requires Jesus bearing the wrath of God, the Father, for you. And think of it as Jesus reminds this woman of her forgiveness, your sins, which are many have been forgiven. He is reminding each of us through her example that there is actual forgiveness through Jesus' work. Actual forgiveness. And this is the message that the apostles were sent around the world to preach. They preached the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. Acts 10.43 Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's simple evangelical pietistic truth. Believe in Jesus, forgiveness of sins. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And the Apostle Paul writes of it in his letters to the churches, Colossians 1. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Poured buckets of love. Upon us. Now, if this is true that in Christ there is forgiveness of sins, why are we so lukewarm? Why so loveless? Why so faint voiced in our praises of our Savior? Where is the warmth and the praise and the love like this woman had? She did not care to be respectable, she would proclaim her love for Jesus. She had her sins forgiven. She had her sins forgiven. Do we just not care too much about having our sins forgiven? 
We read the psalmist, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, and we... Three notifications on Facebook since I started my sermon. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, and we yawn. (laughs) I mean, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's true joy. There may have been a time when that was all you cared about. Your conscience was burdened with all the heavy weight of sin and Jesus came along and you had a deep love for him. Right? You were happy. You were a fool for Christ for moments. But now, is it that way? Is it that way? The church in Ephesus received a message from Jesus and it's recorded for us in the book of Revelation chapter 2. And they heard Jesus say this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You've done all these great things. You've figured out how to change the American government into a theocracy. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. And then Jesus says to them, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else, <laughs> or else, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, right? You hate the deeds of the CDC. Which I also hate, he says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, dear brothers and sisters, I hate to preach when it doesn't mean anything. I hate to preach when it doesn't prick your conscience. I hate to preach when there are things swirling and going on in the Reformed Christian world and, and not be able to address it, right? And, and I've done that today. I've addressed it because I think these things, I, th- I think this is important. I think, I think our pride can make us leave behind our first love. That's what I think. I think our pride can make us leave behind our first love. And so let's not be a church of those who work and persevere and cannot tolerate evil men who do not grow weary but don't have love. That's what we don't want to be. 
That, Jesus says, is worthy of the lampstand being taken away from your church. We need to have a stupid, giddy love for Jesus. Yeah, an evangelical-style love for Jesus. A pietistic, given, given over to individual expression of love to God as the height of everything. Sort of, sort of uh, continuous love. We need to have that kind of love to Jesus that makes everybody else uncomfortable. Talk about Jesus to everybody sort of love. <laughs> I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Just saying that, instead of launching into the uh, part seven of eight of your eschatology of end times when you're witnessing, I love Jesus, he forgave my sins. So do we really feel affection toward the Lord Jesus? Do you have affection for him? Do you have love? Does your heart burn in you when you think about God? Are there times when you cry? Are there times when, when the, the goosebumps Rise up on your arms and your neck as you think about the astonishing thing that God died 2,000 years ago that, and knew me and applied redemption to me and his blood has cleansed me. Can we say, along with Peter, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. Jesus relentlessly questioned Peter at the end of uh, the book of John. We read about that. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he said, ah, don't ask me again. You know all things. You know I love you. It is your love for Jesus that will produce wonderful fruit in your life. The love we have for Jesus is productive. It produces fruit that you can articulate, you know, um, the definitive answer for why evil exists or how the, the angels fell before there was sin. Or you can make an understandable equation for God's sovereignty and man's responsibility is very nice. It's good that you can do those things. But God is love. And it is His love that is poured out within us through His Spirit. And so what animates us as Christians is not puffed up intellectual tenets. What animates us is the love of Jesus. The love of Christ. Love. Ryle says, once let that mighty principle get hold of a man and you will see his whole life changed. When the love of God comes into a man's heart, whew, radical change. I'll close with one last quote of Ryle. He says, let us never forget this. However much the world may sneer at feelings in religion, and however false or unhealthy religious feelings may sometimes be, the great truth still remains behind that feeling is the secret of doing. 
The heart must be engaged for Christ or the hands will soon hang down. Right? You won't do anything if there's no love animating you. The heart must be engaged for Christ or the hands will soon hang down. The affections must be enlisted into our service or our obedience will soon stand still. It will always be the loving workman who will do most in the Lord's vineyard. The loving workman. The one who, who wakes up and says, I can't believe God has forgiven my sins. What ridiculous bounty. What what true glory. There's a Savior, and I know Him, and He hears me when I talk to Him. The forgiven sinner, dear brothers and sisters, will always show by His ways, by His speech, by His pursuits, by His joy, by His kindness, that He loves the Savior who has cleansed Him. So one last time, do you love Jesus? Jesus.